Welcome to today's episode of Strategy and Sourdough. Uh, my name is Tuomas. Today, Honor and I will talk about positioning and specifically positioning for startups. Okay, Honor, we've spent, uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about positioning, and I think it's worth us talking about what positioning actually means. So what's, what's your definition of positioning? There are two parts to this question. The first part is the brand awareness, and the second part is the, uh, the image, the mental associations. Uh, the first part is, do people know that I exist, that my brand exists? And the second part is, what do they think of when they think of my brand? And positioning is a company's or a startup's attempt to shape that perception of what consumers think of when they think of your brand. Because the reality is, people are going to think of something about your company, whether you like that thing or not. And most of the time, you don't have direct influence on what that thing is. But the whole promise of positioning is that you can nudge or try to shape those associations in a certain way. So to me, the best definition of positioning is that systematic attempt to shape that perception of what your company and your products stand for. How do you shape that perception? Do you shape that perception on its own or do you shape that perception somehow in relation to the alternatives, for example, that people may be thinking about when they, when they see your product or service? That's a great question. I will attempt to answer this question in two different ways. The first way to look at it is to find that sweet spot between what the consumers in the market want versus what the competition is doing versus what your company is capable of. So if you think of this as a Venn diagram, and if you can find that sweet spot, I think that's a great place to be in. And that's the really tight positioning that you should be going for. The second way of answering this question, something that I really like and find it very easy to start with is what I call the anti-positioning. So a very uh, famous Example that I can think of is Apple. Of course, Apple is always the easy example in these situations. But when Apple uh, started with the Think Different campaign, they positioned themselves as a competitor to the boring PC and everything that the PC world represents. And of course, then they famously made the TV ads about PC versus Mac. Another example that I can think of, I don't, I think the brand was called MBS or something. So they made this shoe, the sneaker, and the sneaker had a curved bottom that was built supposedly for runners. And I still remember that vividly because um, they positioned this as an anti shoe. So their whole point of view was that if you are going to go running, you need something that absorbs the shock. And the best way to do that is by having a curved bottom in your sneakers. And I think if you look at the most recent examples, a a startup that I really like, Basecamp, which used to be called 37 Signals, they use this really effectively by positioning themselves as the smarter, faster alternative to the big enterprise project management tools out there. And when they were starting out, their biggest enemy number one was waterfall project management. Or they even declared war on gun charts for a while. And I, I think positioning yourself as an anti of something is a great way to set a space in consumer minds for what your product stands for. That's really, that's an interesting notion you mentioned there. You mentioned enemy. 
Do you think it's important to have an enemy for your brand in order to position your, your well, actually not just your brand necessarily, but your product or service that you build? Do you think every product or service needs an enemy in order for, uh, to be able to position themselves in an interesting way? I don't think every brand needs an enemy, but I think especially for smaller companies, it makes a lot of sense to pick a fight because everybody loves a good David versus Goliath story. And if you are really able to successfully position your brand as the smarter alternative to the big cumbersome old competitor, you have a much better chance of uh, standing out, as, at least in the short term. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I guess that, that's, a, that's a good call. But I, I guess the enemy doesn't always have to be the establishment, right? I think in some cases, the, the enemy can be other things too, can it? It can be different trends that are happening in the marketplace. I think almost any industry has different trends going on at all, in, 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 in all, or, or any given time, right? Because like, Email used to be the way that you communicate. The big trend right now is to more of the sort of Slack type messaging platforms. And, you know, the establishment doesn't have to be the company. It can actually be the trend of how people like to communicate at workplace or how people like to share videos in their own life or, 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 or something like that. I think that positioning is quite useful. That's a good example. Slack was definitely an alternative to uh, email and that's how they position themselves like maybe the smarter or more effective way of communicating just like in the previous example Basecamp positioned themselves as the asynchronous uh, way of running the projects rather than having like super detailed com charts and so on yeah and I think the other thing that's really important is um, I mean having an enemy helps because it's just this like natural way of kind of figuring out this is definitely what we're not and this is what we're fighting against and therefore this is what our what our what our product or service is positioned to do but also figuring out which market you're actually in right because that helps you figure out you know am I entering an existing market which is far easier than creating a new one because if you create a new one a lot more marketing money needs to go in and education about what this particular market is and all that kind of stuff but figuring out which market you play in and even picking a sub market in some cases right you don't necessarily have to solve all of the collaboration issues of an office place for example if we keep to the slack and email example you can own a sub segment of that which is basically just the, the sort of communication part of it rather than all of the collaboration necessarily, right? Exactly. So I think what's really important is kind of figuring out what market and what sub-market you're in because it really does help um, get rid of some of the noise around that and focus your efforts in, in trying to win in that particular area um, that you position your product or service in. I like to look at really, for lack of a better word, boring market, so to speak, uh, for positioning inspiration. For example, chocolate bars. If there are already seven different chocolate bars in the market, how do you, if, and if you are launching the eight chocolate bar, how do you differentiate it and how do you position it differently? Well, you can't win with chocolate bars because the finished chocolate is already the best chocolate in the world. So there's no, no point in entering that market. I live in Switzerland and I definitely have something to say about chocolates. So I don't think you can win this argument. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Chocolate bars, for example. There are multiple ways to look at a chocolate bar. And you could say all the other chocolate bars are essentially a treat. Whereas our chocolate bar is an indulgence. 
or you could yeah. say all the chocolate bars have nuts in it, whereas we are the only chocolate bar that doesn't have nuts. We are pure, so that pure position. Yeah. Another uh, boring example is water, because <laughs> think of bottled water and all the branding and positioning that comes with bottled water. So they like to evoke imagery of pureness and simplicity and, and the environment. But vitamin water, for example, what is that? If not a really good positioning exercise. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, the the other thing that I've come across lately, if we stay to this this type of categories, is um, you know protein bars. Protein bars used to be, you know, it, it, the taste wasn't necessarily a, a big calling card for protein bars, right? And there's a company that I came across um, lately called Fulfill, mm-hmm. and Fulfill is basically a protein bar that has all the same attributes of your typical protein bars. You know, you can use it as a snack in between meals, you can use it after a workout, all that kind of stuff. But it's actually positioned as like almost a candy bar. Like it tastes almost like that, doesn't have much sugar and all that kind of stuff. And what they position themselves as is is, is like the, the sort of snack of, of protein bars. So rather than having a protein bar that doesn't taste like anything, you can actually have something where you can indulge and get the benefit, but feel a bit better about it yourself. So that's another good example of, of how you position something that's a very competed in category differently. Their name is amazing too. Their branding is good. So that, that actually is a good product to take a look at, fulfill for those who missed it on the first try. Let's put it on the show notes. What you just mentioned is very interesting to me. You said how to compete in a category differently and not necessarily that the product is different. And as I've been doing a little bit research about the concept of differentiation versus distinction, and they sound quite similar, but differentiation, or I'm sure most listeners will be familiar with the term unique selling proposition. So that was actually invented in 1970s and it was very popular in the American School of Marketing thought. And I think it comes at a time where people genuinely wanted to believe that certain products were truly different in how they were built or what kind of problems they were solving. But I would argue that at the moment at least, there's not really a lot of differentiation between one product or another, unless you are in a super specific niche industry. Most of the products are somewhat similar. So it's not the product that is truly differentiated. It's that your brand and how you choose to compete in a specific category is uh, uh, differentiated. And that to me is what positioning is. How are you going to choose to position your product so you have a chance of uh, competing and capturing a different set of values in the consumer's mind. Yeah, it's naming what do you stand for, what's your story, all, all the things that we've been speaking about in some of our episodes before, especially the first one that we did on, on brand brand strategy and, and, and all of that. I, I also think one of the things that we've we've spoken about this way too many times now, but it just goes to show how important it is. And I think it goes back to that, what's your real competition uh, notion? Um, and I do want to talk about it at least this one more time because um, what your real competition is helps you helps in your positioning uh, as much as anything else. Because again, going back to the same example that we've used, right? If you um, are in the in the business of selling accounting software, your competitor isn't necessarily another accounting software. It could be Excel sheets or pen and paper, right? So I think positioning in that sense is is really important to to be grounded on what you really think your competitive alternatives for your, your customers or your 
your consumers that you're targeting actually are. And I do think that really helps because whether you're using the strategy of enemies, um, whether you're using the strategy of, of sort of anti-positioning, whether you're using the strategy of positioning yourself within a subcategory, it really helps to start identifying and thinking really outside the box on what the competitive alternatives for your products or service may be. So if I do my research and find out what my consumers really think my competitors are, how do I then go about building a differentiated positioning? And what does that look like if we talk a little bit about more concrete examples? Yeah, so I think that's where you start going into the, okay, so let's identify the real competitive um, alternatives that, that we have. And depending on what those are, let's really start doing some research on why our customers or the consumers we want to talk to, depending on what our business is, why do they actually choose to use um, these alternatives? And that's going to be the re- really the starting point. And it again goes back to a previous episode where we spoke about research and really going into talking to customers and understanding why they do that, because it's, it starts to really uncover ideas for how you can actually pick an enemy or how you can pick um, a distinctive positioning rather than just relying on your product to be differentiated. Because again, as you mentioned earlier, and it's something I, I believe in as well, as the more and more um, time goes on and the more and more entrepreneurs and new products and services get launched, you'll have one or two or maybe three or five alternatives in almost every category, actually. It's very unique to be creating genuinely new categories in today's world. So that distinction has to come from an understanding of what the alternatives are and why people use them. I think that's really, really the starting point. Because whether it then is the origins of your product or service, whether it's why it was created, whether it's the unique way in which you bring the experience to life, there could be an infinite way of actually creating distinction. But that to me would be a really, really great starting point. Mm -hmm. The way I like to approach this positioning exercise is uh, start always with the customers like you mentioned and do the research to find out what they think about your products and services. And this could be about, like we discussed in the research, how they utilize that product or service or what they think the competitive products are or what what their perceptions and mindsets and attitudes are. Right? Uh, the second thing I like to look at is the company and the capabilities itself. And I think it has a very important role to play in the overall uh, positioning strategy. So I think it's important to ask yourself and your co-founders, why are we in the business and what we hope to achieve? What are our capabilities? What are our aspirations? Are we the kind of company that says we are the biggest or the fastest or the smartest solution out there? Or is it better for us to be known in a different set of values? And the third part is the competition, looking at what everybody else is saying in the marketplace and figuring out a unique angle that helps you separate from the rest of the pack. And one that ideally puts everybody else together and you separately. And I think chocolate bars example that we talked about is a good one. To, if you're able to come up with the value proposition that says everybody else has nuts and we don't have nuts, maybe that's uh, how you differentiate yourselves. And once you go through these three distinct points, the customers, the company and the competition, and if you can find something that sits right in the middle of these three components, then you have a much better chance of uh, coming up with a unique positioning statement. But speaking of statement, 
Is there a format that you prefer for positioning? What does the final positioning uh, look like? Yeah, so um, there's there's a couple of schools of thought. I'll share my personal thoughts on this this a little later. But I think there's one school of thought that believes in these canvases. Um, so basically creating a canvas for your positioning. The reason why that may be useful is if you have multiple people that are either inside of your organization or outside of it, and you have to rely on other people, do your marketing and your storytelling and your brand and all that kind of stuff, having one sort of one, one page view, and I'm not talking about a complicated document here, but a one page view that really um, quickly describes what the, what the product or service is, what the market is, perhaps the three, three things that you talk, spoke about just there. What are the customers? What's the competitive landscapes? And what, what are companies uniquely positioned at? And who cares about our positioning? Um, and I'm not, I don't mean sort of who cares. I mean, literally, who, who are the people who, who care about your product? <laughs> who, who is the best customer that you're, you're really, really going after? I mean, who that's cares? one really, who cares? Yeah, <laughs> everyone cares. Um, but that, that's one good way of just having a single pager on it. But I think if you're, if you're an early stage startup and if you're really talking about um, primarily internal teams or, or sm- small founding teams, it can be as simple as having a provocative statement of, of what our positioning is. Um, some kind of a rallying cry, I guess, especially if you choose the enemy to position against. Something memorable, something that people can recite in almost every meeting, something that you can go back to very, very easily and it doesn't change from one person within the company to the next. So uh, I I would say my opinion is early stage, go with a memorable statement that really you can't ignore or can't forget. And the more bigger, the larger and more complicated your business gets, you might have multiple products with their own positionings, create a one pager, sort of a canvas of sorts um, that covers all the key points in a single page. What you mentioned uh, being memorable, I think is super important and it's a great litmus test for whether you really have a solid positioning or not. Just by going around the company and asking 10 different people from sales to marketing to accounting. Um, and if everybody can more or less come up with the same answer, then you know you're on the right track and then you take the right the solid positioning statements. Yeah, I think a wrong positioning or not, no, I, I wouldn't even call it a wrong positioning actually. And um, a positioning that's not clearly putting you into a certain frame of mind for potential customers is probably the first mistake you can do in marketing, right? Because you can market anything, you, you can put as much money behind the marketing, but if people don't fundamentally understand what you do or, or what value your product gives, then that's already driving all that marketing spend in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And most of the time I've uh, seen so many complicated positioning statements of these brand archetypes and concentric circles and paragraphs of statements. And I think at the end of the day, it could be something as simple as think different. It's a slogan in Apple's case, but Apple represents creativity and user interaction. And maybe it's as simple as that. Or in the other example that we talked about, maybe it's the best chocolate comes from Finland. And that's that's what you want to be known for. And I think the simpler your positioning statement can be, the more it has chance to be successful because the more focused you can be when it comes to your marketing efforts. Yeah. And also the one thing that I've, I've always not liked when it comes to positioning, whether it's investor presentations, demo days, or actual positionings is like the, you know, the, using another company to explain what you do. And what I mean by that is like, we are the Airbnb for cats, or we are the Uber for this and this. 
I just don't know if that really actually describes you very well because, you know, I, I understand why companies would do this. Like, you know, it's the sharing economy reference, but it doesn't, in my mind, create anything memorable. Anyone can say that. I would actually go about and create something on your own that really describes what you do very well and in a, a way that's unique for your company rather than going and, and, and doing the borrowed equity um, thing because it's, it's too lazy, in my opinion, and it doesn't really serve a right purpose. How would you describe our podcast in the context of sharing economy references? <laughs> sharing economy references. I think we are the um, lynda.com of uh, podcasts. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, that's that's the whole point, right? I, I think it's it's just way, way too difficult to do that in a way that people might 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 actually remember. All right, let's try to summarize. The importance of positioning is that the consumers are going to have certain perceptions about your company and your products and services when they get introduced to it. So the whole positioning exercise is an attempt to frame that conversation and shape those perceptions, hopefully the way you want to be known in the marketplace. Yeah, that's a very good way to put it. In order to be able to do that, first, you need to understand which market you really are in. That's defined by how your customers perceive what your competition is. And secondly, trying to find a unique way to differentiate yourself, not necessarily the product itself, but how you talk about that product and how you communicate that. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good way to put it. Um, and again, a strong positioning will be such a, such a good foundation for, for people to really understand what value you can provide to their lives. Why are you solving a, a particular problem and, and almost how as well? Um, and if, if, you, if done correctly, I would say a strong positioning can almost be a, a competitive advantage against companies that may have similar solutions to problems that you're solving but haven't really thought about it as much as you have. We also talked about uh, how to go about building that positioning statement and the format of it. We decided that it's not so important what that looks like as long as the whole company can rally behind that statement that you come up with, whether it's a set of circles that you draw on a page or three words that you have picked or a sentence that you have written down, as long as everybody can recite it without having to look at a deck. I think you're on the right track because that's the only way that you're going to cut through the clutter and get into the consumer's minds. Yeah, exactly. Um, and again, there's no, no um, shortcuts to actually talking to customers and really understanding whether your positioning is right. So testing a positioning with real customers who've bought from you or customers who haven't heard from you, but you think are in the, in the pool of best customers for you to reach is a good way to try and validate whether your positioning makes sense. Maybe a leaving tip for our listeners. In our last conversation, we talked about NPS scores and asking that question of how likely are you to recommend us to a friend? And a question that I've started using recently and uh, found super beneficial is asking the question, how would you describe us to a friend? And when you look at the sentences or the words that people use to describe your company, that gives you a super clear idea of what kind of perceptions they have about your company and your products. 
and that could be a great input to the positioning exercise as well. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that, actually. These open-ended questions that specifically ask how, how would you describe us? Um, it's an easy, easy, easy sort of exercise for any, anybody who's at the other, other end of this research exercise because it, it's just asking for your opinion. There's no right or wrong answers, and it gives you the best kinds of inputs into what people think today. So your task then is either you use what they think today, if it's strong enough, and leverage it and turn it into um, basically the way that you position your company and talk about yourself, or alternatively, if it feels wrong, or if it feels like it's not actually servicing what, what, our, what our product or service does, then you have a bigger task on your hand of, of changing the positioning and the perceptions within the customers. So it is a great starting point. I agree. Perfect. Thank you, Mr. Thomas. Thank you, Mr. Honor. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you for listening to Strategy and Sourdough. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us out, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. 